So I have the privilege of having Chris Larson with me, the president and CEO of Ligonier Ministries. Thanks so much for joining us, Chris. Glad you could be here. It's wonderful to be down, and thank you for escorting me over the border and to be able to see Radius now in action. Um, it's really quite something. Well, thank you. Hey, I'm going to ask you a couple questions um, just because, yeah, you've seen Radius. You and I have been talking for a little over a year about this, and I got to come down, uh, see your guys' headquarters, was really blessed by that. And our students have been the beneficiaries of good reading material from Ligonier, and then our other sister campuses, especially in Asia, have benefited from some of the translation work. What are you guys doing outside of the English-speaking world? Like, what are the things that, because I know you're doing a ton of stuff, but what are the things that are most exciting to you that you guys are doing outside of the English-speaking world? Yeah, I think that's probably the most exciting part of what we're doing as a ministry. We're taking you know, 50 years of trusted biblical theological teaching whether it was in books or video formats and things like that, and now moving it into other languages. We've set out this kind of big, audacious goal. We want to have either daily or weekly sustained teaching in the world's top 20 languages by 2025. We're on language number nine right now, and we're actually working in about 43 different languages, mm. uh, but we want to be able to have that concentrated focus because that'll cover about 80% of the world's population. And we really see that as an urgent need for organizations like Aradius because you all are really tip of the spear. We're not a tip of the spear organization. We're there to come along behind and provide the supply chains. Uh, mm. You hear all about supply chains today. Well, we want to move good teaching mm. uh, to uh, the, the, really the frontiers of where the church is growing. Yeah. And to be able to pro provide that trusted theological um, discipleship-making resources so that missionaries, church planters, pastors, uh, they're able to kind of keep uh, feeding their people. And we have all this library of material plus all the new things that we're creating and um, really have been blessed to see a lot of different organizations just kind of take it and run with it. Mm. And so... We kind of come to organizations like Radius and others and just have an open cookie jar and say, take what you want. We've been the beneficiaries of that for sure. I know, I mean, we were just in the classroom and the students have really, really enjoyed it. I was just talking to two of them at prayer time and uh, everyone's a theologian and the holiness of God are just, yeah, those have rippled through the class pretty well. What are some of the other ones? Give me like your top, top five, top five books that... Ligonier produces that you would say these ones tend to have the most powerful effect when they're translated overseas. Sure. Well, Everyone's a Theologian is an area of great concentration and focus for us now. I think we might be at language number six. Just a couple weeks ago, we were in France and we launched um, Everyone's Theologian in French. Wow. So I had to practice my college French again and uh, announce it to the, the conference. You actually gave there. a little talk in French? I, well, just a little. Okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> And being able to tell them there, the, the, the church that was gathered there, yes, we want to bless the church in France and, and French-speaking people everywhere, but when we would think everywhere, we're thinking primarily right now mm. of Africa. Yeah. And then, of course, you have um, Haiti. Um, but you know, we have 12,000 copies going to French-speaking Africa right now. And so I think that title, Everyone's a Theologian, is helpful because it is an introductory systematic theology. Yeah. R.C. Sproul didn't write a formal systematic theology. He was a systematic theologian. He drew on the resources of the church over the ages, but 
he taught at a popular level for lay people, and that was always his focus. Yeah. And as you would know, probably even better than, than us, these resources kind of come in at right at that right level on the mission field for trying to train pastors. Amen. Um, who have not had a lot of formal education, mm. certainly haven't had a lot of theological education. And we're just finding a lot of our resources kind of hitting that sweet spot for um, church leader training mm. uh, around the world. Yes. So that's a, an important resource. Probably the, the biggest effort for us is to get the Reformation Study Bible in as many languages mm. as possible because it's a one-volume theological library. Yeah. And a lot of these... Uh, folks, they'd never be able to afford it. Mm. So donors in the States and around the world, they come together and then we work with translation partners and printers on the field and uh, we're working on Arabic and French right oh. now. Okay. And so can you imagine uh, Reformation Study Bible in Arabic? Oh, um, cool. So it's, it's amazing. With that work, we're putting together a lot of confessions and creeds of yeah. the church some that have never been translated into different languages before. So I remember hearing that, yeah. bringing forward um, uh, the three forms of unity, Heidelberg, Belgic, yeah. uh, Synod of Dort, or Westminster Confession. Wow. We even have London Baptist Confession in there, um, 39 articles, really trying to prevent, present that, um, that Reformed Catholic understanding of yeah. the faith, small yeah. c. No, saving the Reformation was also. Um, now that I'm thinking about it, that was one of the ones that the class really enjoyed that book, and then uh, the biblical theology of John Wycliffe, and just how so many of our students are going to end up in Bible translation, and it was it was just a great way to kind of get a look into how pre-Reformation the reformer John Wycliffe and why he thought the actual translation of scriptures, it was underpinned by Reformed theology. Don't you get this sense that, that you and I and what we get to do, like all we are doing is following previous generations' playbooks? Pretty much. We're yeah. not doing anything new here. By God's grace, <laughs> yeah. It's when you start to get into new stuff you should be worried. That's right. Yeah. Okay, so you talked about the French church. Give me just a little bit from your position. You, you were interacting with a lot of different countries, a lot of different languages. Um, why is ecclesiology, from a radius student's perspective, he's going to head out, he's going to, Lord willing, plant a church among an unreached people group. Why should missionaries be concerned, and why should sending churches be concerned with right ecclesiology? Why does that matter? There's so many different areas of doctrine and theology that they could, but ecclesiology seems to have this unique corner in missions that's important. Why would that be? The church is God's plan A mm. for carrying out the Great Commission. There is no plan B. Mm. It is evangelism, discipleship, worship. This is what the church should be about. Yeah. There's a lot that goes under the banner of missions today that is not missions. Yeah. It is planting local churches, growing up healthy local churches, establishing elders, faithful preaching of the word, mm. um, and being able to have a right administration of the sacraments, and yes, even church discipline, those marks of the church that we've talked about uh, throughout church history. Um, the church has to be our focus. Mm. Um, I even think about what we do at Ligonier. It's, it's not missions, properly speaking. Mm -hmm. uh, we're mission support. Uh, we're there to encourage and, and further the work of the people who are doing the work on the field. What we do is not missions, even though we're involved in a lot of 
mission-like activity, but it's not missions. Yeah. And there's, there's wonderful organizations out there doing great relief work and other helps uh, for the you know, various churches around the world and developing world. But uh, we need to be very clear today that it's planting local churches uh, with a man who's been called by God to be able to, to teach and to preach God's word, to disciple the believers. And, and, you know, they may not see great fruit for many years. But isn't that where we fall back on our theology, too, and say that this is God's sovereign plan for how the Great Commission is carried out? This yeah. is what Jesus told us to do. So why are we trying to do anything besides evangelize, teach, grow up local churches? Yeah. I love R.C. Sproul's little book on Martin Luther and how he starts with Jan Hus and how at, his, at the time that they burned him at the stake, his famous words, you may cook this goose, but there'll come a swan someday that you can't. And just the timing of God's providential grace when and where he chooses to save people and to see his church established. Uh, it's just a wonderful thing. And you had a, a guy, Sebastian, I always mess his name up. Sebastian wrote, Heck, who uh, wrote yeah, that church planter in uh, Heidelberg, Germany. Yeah, I thought his article in that latest Table Talk on missions, I thought that was the best article by far, just because his primacy of the, not to put down the other guys, but the primacy of the local church in missions, yes, conversions, yes, seeing disciples gathered, but if we don't gather those disciples into local churches, we really have lost the Great Commission. That's the focus of it. So Absolutely, yeah. We, we latched on to uh, the work that he was doing there. It might have been 14 years ago now, 10, 12. I, I can't remember. Time goes quickly. But uh, we translated uh, Dr. Sproul's The Truth of the Cross, and uh, he was part of the team that moved that into German as one of the resources that he was using. And you know, there you have, in, in Germany, you know, a very progressive, secular um, country, um, you, you have a, a faithful congregation mm. and everybody is so enamored by counting numbers mm. and because it's a good donor story to tell back home. I think what we need to help the church and particularly the sending church in, in more affluent countries of the world, they need to be thinking about how do we celebrate faithfulness over the long haul? Amen. Faithfulness to our theology and, and to what the scripture has taught um, and being able to then faithfully promulgate that in a local context, mm -hmm. but without any like significant hyper-contextualization and things like that, you're just being faithful and presenting the truth. Yeah. And I think Sebastian, among many others, are doing you know, a sound work and um, it's, it's a conversation that needs to be happening in other missions communities. Amen. Well, hey, okay, so you brought up rapid multiplication, uh, things happening quickly, faithfulness is the mark, but we see a lot in American missions is about counting, counting baptisms, counting conversions, counting speed at which things are happening. Um, are you familiar? Have you heard the term disciple-making movements or church-planting movements? Yes, I have, and... Um yeah, going to the, the speed issue, I yeah. immediately go back to thinking about the American West and the frontier mm -hmm. as the nation was you know, expanding West. Uh, so this would be um, early 1800s mm -hmm. uh, to mid-1800s. And, and so there's 
there's a lot of interest with churches in the east to be able to get churches you know going out west and there was such a zeal to to move west that uh, there was a pragmatism that crept into missions methodology mm. and you had a, a lot of um, reformed theologians saying well we need to send trained men to the frontiers mm. because okay if you if you start a church how are you going to continue the church and what are the resources you're going to draw on yep. and so we need to yes go yeah. but let's go with great intentionality mm. for the long haul mm. because there's there should always be within us an urgency to take the gospel to unreached people groups we have to do that otherwise we're unfaithful ourselves yep. but when you get there they think that, that there's some who think just taking the gospel was enough the great commission says to teach and observe to guard all that christ has commanded mm. okay well who are we sending to teach and what are they teaching mm. and what are they drawing on and so just the pragmatism that crept in i think that episode should be instructive for us today that just because we can go and can call something missions and and maybe tell a, a good story about what we're doing mm. you have to be intentional about the great commission has a specific context and focus and again it comes back to are we starting a church are we planting elders mm. and isn't this what we see Paul doing Amen. in the early days? Amen. I mean, he is just checking in on the churches. Yeah. He's planting elders and he's encouraging Timothy to, to preach the word. Mm. Okay, that's, that's the playbook. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I think that, that time period, especially the late 1800s, mid... Um, have you ever read Char or, uh, Ian Murray's Revival and Revivalism and just the differences that he showcases in there between true spirit-wrought revival and man-wrought revivalism, conjuring up, looking at how this was occurring. Now, can we reverse engineer that to produce that ourselves? It is one of those things. We, we recommend Revival and Revivalism as one of the best books on what's happening in missions today in 2022, 23, as we move forward, just because the similarities, what you're talking about, going too quickly can have effects that yeah. can be just disastrous for the church they're they look good on spreadsheets but they can be very painful for the true true gospel advance i think what we're looking for is opportunities that's how i think about a lot of our work mm -hmm. at ligonier is opportunities to spread truth around the world and almost like we're setting out kindling in different spots little campfires mm -hmm. and it's not lit yet but we're providing resources to organizations like Radius and others and providing this truth. And then we pray. We pray for the Spirit to come along and cause these little campfires to burst into flame. Mm. And so that's just awakening, isn't it? And that is really what we long for. It's faithfulness, knowing that God uses the means of the preaching and teaching of his word mm through you know, the, the work of the local church and the right administration of the sacraments. And the Spirit comes along, and we've seen this in generation after generation in different parts of the world. And he 
causes life mm. to come where there was death. Mm. But he always does it through the word. Mm. And uh, we don't need to be wiser than the Holy Spirit here. Um, and so let's just be faithful and let's pray. Mm. And let's work like crazy to get the truth out there. Mm. And let's send people because how will they hear without a preacher? Romans 10. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Why do you think... So I'm just looking at the American evangelical landscape and this value. You and I have traveled a lot overseas. I lived overseas. You work a lot with international partners. But this value of speed and going quickly and seeing translations done. You and I were talking about that on the car ride down today and seeing translations done really rapidly and conversions happen. Why do you think that that attribute is... Uh, the American church seems to not be enamored with it, but certain pockets of evangelicalism latch on to speed as an animating value. Why do you think that is? Well, part of it is a bit of American um, ethos, and mm. we're a rather impatient people. Um, and so that creeps into our theology. Mm. And also I think it's because a lot of the church really doesn't appreciate or um, embrace the depths of what we mean by talking about the sovereignty of God. Mm. Um, and one of the things I'll, I'll say sometimes to um, individuals who are interested in supporting the work um, and sometimes individuals of great means mm. uh, that the Lord has blessed them with. And one of the things I'll, I'll say to them is that it's important for you to know that God doesn't need your support. Mm. And we don't need your support. And we're thankful for it. Um, we need it to do the work. But God has all the resources that he needs. Amen. He has all the workers that he needs. We're to pray that he would raise up more. But we're praying to him hmm. that he would raise up more workers. And that his, that's his sovereign work. And so the emphasis on speed, I think, is going back a little bit to that pragmatism that yeah. we were just talking about. Um, and you know, I, I have that impatience in me as well. Because I, I see the opportunities yeah. that are out there, like you and I do. Yeah. Um, you, you see the great need, and you want to rush in to help serve in any way yeah. possible. And in one sense, uh, what an amazing time to be alive as a Christian mm. because of the opportunities true, that are true. out there. Yeah. Um, the way we're able to get around the world now, the way we're able to tie together different languages and people groups and and the like-mindedness that's developing among you know, convictional, confessional Christians now, it's, it's remarkable. And so I, I'm actually filled with optimism that we're at a bit of an inflection point in the, the mission-sending church mm. and what we're trying to do on the field. Yeah. And you know, one of the things I'll say to even partners on the field is that, yes, we're providing you some resources from Leader Ministries, all of our teachers, Dr. Sproul, course really we're not trying to lift up our banner we're not trying to get rc sproles name out there mm. we're wanting to see an army of rc sproles mm. in your own context yeah. among your own people to be able to grow up your own native speaking bible teachers preachers theologians mm. like you all need to take this and run with it yeah and wouldn't that be great is to see just a flood of knowledgeable and articulate Christians in a lot of different areas around yeah. the world 
confessing our common faith. Yeah. And so I, I see as what we do as almost a temporary bridge yeah. to get people connected to historic reformed teaching and uh, to be able to see the church just kind of go and run with it in their local context. And I know that's a, a great passion of Radius as well. You're not trying to supplant the local church. You're yeah. trying to, to get a church going where there has not been one. Amen. Amen. Let me ask you a really common question about Calvinists. So you've got William Carey, you've got Adoniram Judson, you've got John Payton, you've got all these missionaries who are confessing Calvinists as they went to the field, mm -hmm. and yet there's this idea in broader evangelicalism, well, Calvinists think it's the frozen chosen. If they're already chosen, why should we go? How come... Calvinists seem historically to be the ones most motivated to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And yet there's this argument that Calvinists can't love missions because they already think God's going to save whoever he's going to save. What gives there? What, what would be your answer to that? Yeah, I, I don't have much patience for that argument because it's um, usually historically ignorant. Um, and it means you have actually haven't read Calvinism. Now, sometimes... Um, or Calvin. Uh, sometimes a lot of folks, um, yeah, they're they're calling something Calvinism that's actually hyper Calvinism, yeah. which is unbiblical True. and unfaithful, and it, it's sinful um, in its various manifestations. Yeah. But um, how can you not go if you know that you have a sovereign God who is going with you, who has promised to bless the preaching and teaching of the word, mm. and knowing that you will be successful. Hmm. Successful how? Successful in going, being obedient and going. And then when you're there, proclaiming, thus says the Lord, telling them hmm. about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, his person and his work, hmm. of that, the fact that God has revealed himself in the word and in nature. And then how are you supposed to know who this is? How are you then to know who you are and then your need for a savior? Mm. And this is the way men uh, act. This is the way women act. This is the way families grow. This is the way the church should be ordered. This is all given to us in the scriptures. Mm. And if you have the sovereign God of the universe providing that, saying that he will provide all that you need, and this is how you should go, mm. how can you not go? Now it's just about obedience. Hmm. Um, and so I, I don't have any patience for uh, people who are speaking from a deficient theology. Hmm. I know that they're well-meaning, and I appreciate their zeal. Hmm. And I think good work has been done yeah. um, by those who would not even you know, share a Reformed perspective on missions. But at the same time, um, I think that we could work together. Yeah. Uh, we don't see ourselves in competition um, as Reformed believers. Mm. We want to see people better understanding the scriptures yeah. and having that animate our activity. So you would see Calvinism is actually the fuel for missions. Like if you understand oh, the sovereignty of God, that's actually going to fuel your heart to go to the nations, not the opposite. That's right. Yeah. If man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Yeah. Um, that means that 
all of our energy has to be directed towards helping people to know who God is. Mm -hmm. This is how Calvin begins his institutes of the Christian religion. Yeah. He begins by saying, you must first have a knowledge of God and then a knowledge of yourself. Mm -hmm. Without a knowledge of God, you won't really understand who you are. And in this day and age where everybody's talking about identity and things like that and everybody's kind of lost in our culture mm. and trying to grope around for this answer of who am I? Well, we can't answer who we are because we don't know who God is. Mm -hmm. And so we bang that drum a lot at Ligonier, but it's really a, a drum that, that Calvin was banging, but you find it throughout uh, the church fathers as oh, well. Back, yeah. And of course, you know, to the prophets and the apostles yeah. themselves. And it is absolutely biblical theology um, you notice how I just equivocated there. I think of Calvinism as biblical theology. Mm -hmm. um, Warfield said the same. Um, it is absolutely fuel. It's not just fuel for missions. Yeah. It's fuel for how we are to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Amen. We're not going to get to the end of our life and we're going to stop. We're going to go on glorifying God, go on enjoying him forever. And this is what we're trying to bring people into in the work of missions. Excellent. Yeah. No, I appreciate you touching on that one. Okay, so let me let me come back to a previous question. So you've got movement methodology proponents who will say, Chris, there are hundreds of thousands of people dying every day. Surely there's got to be a better way to keep pace with the birth rates that are happening in countries like India. It's going to pass China in another 30 years here. It's the most populous country. We've got all of these people going to hell. We've got to come up with quicker, faster ways, means to get the gospel into their hands, to create faster, more reproducing. The motives being really honorable. Absolutely. And we can all laud the motivations there, but where does that go sideways if if it's that racing against time, so to speak? Would you see that as a, a good kind of way to look at missions or a good way to go after that particular solution in world evangelism? I don't think there's anything wrong with looking at the urgency of the situation and saying, how can we do what we're doing hmm. better? Um, we are fallen individuals. Yeah. We need to be reflecting more on the word and and thinking about how can we be more faithful yeah. uh, to the word. And that could be a good conversation to have with a lot of different individuals and organizations. Mm -hmm. But um, there cannot be a supplanting of what we said earlier, of the primary means and method by which the church grows. Amen. Because what are we building for the long term? Mm -hmm. But when you understand this is what God has chosen to bless, let's, uh, let's recognize he is sovereign in all of his timing. How many people have lived on this earth since the creation of this earth? And there was a, there was a special time when God chose to send Christ. And you know, I, if, if folks want to say that, you know, there's... Um, all this need out there. Um, why did God send Christ when he did? Hmm. There was a time that he sovereignly chose. Yeah. And people are without excuse because they know there's a God and they hate him. 
and uh, God in his kindness and mercy has chosen to save some hmm. and uh, the rest he has left them in their sin hmm. and um, we don't want to see anyone go to hell um, and so all we know is to be faithful with what's been given to us yeah. today and to seek to use the means that are available to us taking the gospel message forward hmm. through churches amen especially on the last part by churches through churches for the goal of seeing churches planted there you go so you have been down here a here being radius campus for a few hours thoughts i know but we've talked about it for a few months the times that you and i have interacted at various conferences and Getting to visit you guys in Orlando was a blessing, but yeah, thoughts on Radius. Yeah, great thoughts on Radius. Um, so impressed and encouraged by the intentionality hmm. that I see here, the thoughtfulness, um, also this emphasis on quality over quantity. Um, you know, there, there's not thousands of students here. It's a tight-knit, life-on-life um, -life, uh, discipleship community. Hmm. And what you all are doing in terms of the intensive training, the rigorous training, helping people to understand, you know, particularly if they're coming out of, you know, first world contexts, mm -hmm. that you're going to be going into some very difficult situations. And I, I think the, the idea of ensuring that these men and women can go the distance, yeah. that we're not looking at a short term mission trip where you get a bunch of pictures for your Instagram reel. I think your emphasis on quality yeah. is um, the right um, the right note to sound. Hmm. I commend you for your work. Thank you, brother. Same vein, same question. How would church pastors, um, church pastors who haven't heard of us, they would know Ligonier, what would you say, what kind of church pastor would go, hey, this could be helpful for my members that I'm looking to head overseas? Or... How would this help churches in particular, Radius as an organization? Could it help churches as they prepare to send? I think one of the, the charms about your approach is to be able to say this isn't for everybody. Mm. Um, and I think churches are helped through an organization like Radius by saying, okay, go, go do this training program and you're going to test a call mm. to the missions field. And the answer may be you're not called. Hmm. And that could be a very good answer. True, true. Like it, it's, it's not a failure to say, okay, this isn't the right path yeah. for me. Yeah. And for a church to be able to know that before they've invested tens of thousands of dollars in equipping and sending a missionary overseas, hmm. and then if it doesn't work out or there's issues on the field, how do you bring them back home? Yeah. Not that Radius is any sort of guarantee, but... The, the vetting and some of the, the specific evaluation that you all do mm. and providing that report back to a local church. It just gives them another lens uh, to this man or woman uh, who you know has expressed a desire to serve the Lord in this way. And I, I, think, I think we need that multitude of counselors, don't we? Thank you, brother. You and I are both book guys. We like books. We like reading old books by guys, some of them alive, most of them dead, gone on to glory. Um, top two or three books you would recommend. Ligonier books, but anything you would recommend for 18 to 25-year-olds. who I like the language of aspiring 
to go into missions yes. or to go to the pastorate over calling because I think calling can sometimes sound a little bit too subjective um, and it kind of if the Lord's called you to this then who am I to say anything about that but I aspire to be a missionary I aspire to be a pastor what books would you put in an 18 to 25 year old's hand any amount or anything that you would recommend sure I almost just want to recommend an author yeah. um, rather than just specific books but I, I will recommend one specific book John Calvin's little book on the Christian life oh. And it's a little section out of the Institutes, mm. and um, in there you have a vision of the Christian life mm. and what it means to live as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Read Calvin. Mm. Read Calvin. Read his sermons. Um, you know, the commentaries can be more technical at times, mm. uh, but read the sermons. Read book three of the Institutes. Read this little book on the Christian life. We publish it at Ligonier, but there's other editions out there as well. I think Banner may have one. Um, and get into Calvin. Um, yeah, read the wisdom from those whose life and testimony is sealed. Um, yeah, we, we have a lot of good thinkers today, mm-hmm. good theologians that are out there, good scholars, um, but really draw on the wisdom of the past. And uh, I think, uh, no, there, there can be some bad with the good, but I, I think that you'll be able to draw on true wisdom hmm. uh, that has been time-tested yeah. there. So, yeah, Calvin and old books. It's not a bad way to end. <laughs> Thank you, brother. It's Appreciate great to be with you.